Hi, and thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor. This is a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers to your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Brian Wells. And today we have a special edition of Ask the Pastor in the wake of last week's historic Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. The question today is, how should Christians respond to Roe versus Wade being overturned? Well, welcome to this special edition of our Ask the Pastor podcast. Obviously, we typically try and solicit questions from our congregation, our, our audience, our listeners um, for to respond to in the podcast. But in the wake of this last week's historic Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, the judicial precedent which had allowed for the legalized killing of unborn babies in our country for almost 50 years, we thought, you know, that is probably on enough of our minds and our hearts uh, this week to merit its own special uh, episode. And so I've referred to abortion a number of times um, on this podcast and in sermons over the years as the most egregious evil, I think, existing in our society today. But Last Friday, June 24th, the stain of this heinous sin, while certainly not completely removed, was at least significantly mitigated in our country as the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and return the matter of the legality of abortion back to the states. This is truly... Uh, difficult to overstate just how massively important this decision was and is. And, uh, but in all of it, again, it begs the question for us, how should we as believers respond to this news? And so let me suggest four ways I think we ought to respond in chronological order. Uh, first and foremost, we should respond with prayers of praise. I, we ought to start by offering praise to the one, the only one who is able to orchestrate such a victory for the cause of life, the one who is the author of life, the sustainer of life, the source of all life, our Heavenly Father. And we know that this victory isn't ultimately attributable to five Supreme Court justices, to the president who appointed them, to any voter who elected him. This is not an excuse for us to pat ourselves or each other on the back or any of that. This is an occasion to praise God from whom all blessings flow, including uh, most of all the blessing of life. James 1.17 tells us every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, from our Father above. And so Psalm 107.1, we therefore give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So first of all, we sing God's praises. Number two, secondly, we respond by celebrating together. Not only is it right for us to celebrate privately thanking God for this historic victory, but it is right and good for us as a community of faith to celebrate corporately together. Uh, Think of Psalm 150, where we're invited to, to praise the Lord for his mighty deeds, but it specifically instructs us to do so thusly. We praise God in his sanctuary, the psalmist says. That's the temple. This is the place of public corporate worship. It says, praise God with trumpet sound, with lute and harp, with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, with sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. In other words, throw a party. It is right and good for God's people to be excited 
when God does great things, mighty deeds, and certainly overturning a law that allowed for the slaughter of 62 million babies over the last five decades now, a decision that will, we pray and expect, now save the lives of countless millions of babies in the next five decades. That is a mighty deed indeed. And so that's why I spent, uh, carved out time in our Sunday morning worship service last, last Sunday to uh, announce the news of the court's decision, even though I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, had already heard about it privately. It was to give us a chance to publicly celebrate it together as a community of faith. And I think we don't do this. We don't celebrate it uh, for two reasons. As far as I can see, for starters, um, maybe there's the, the uh, sort of righteous motive that we don't want to gloat perceived as being sore winners. No one likes a sore winner. Um, and so Proverbs 27.2 even says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. But that's just the thing. You know, it, it all depends on who and how we are celebrating. If I'm celebrating my, my victory here, hey, my team won. I'm going to shout it from the rooftop and from all over social media. If I'm doing it in a way that seeks to rub my opponent's noses in it, or uh, beat my own chest, then yes, of course, that's gloating. That's totally unchristlike. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Even God, the ultimate victor, who's one day going to put every enemy under Christ's feet, says, I don't delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin, that they would turn to me, join me, join the winning team. But if they refuse to do that, I'm not going to gloat. I'm going to be heartbroken. But secondly, I do wonder, though, if a lot of the time, we don't skip the celebration because we tell ourselves we're being humble, but in reality, we're, we're just being scared that we see the kinds of uh, reactions and posts that our non-Christian friends are making in the wake of this decision. And we realize that the majority of the country is not Christian, that the majority of the country might not be happy about this decision. And the idea of being in the minority then, frankly, scares us. We fear being ostracized. We fear being lambasted even for, for celebrating a decision that the world now calls evil. I read a post uh, that one of my non-Christian friends made this past week that said, if you are celebrating this decision, you are celebrating dead women. Some of us are going to read such a post and decide, you know what, it's safer to just stay quiet. Who wants to respond to that? But Jesus warned us in no uncertain terms. Friendship with me means enmity with the world. If you love me, you're going to be hated by the world. And, and the reality is most of us just don't like being hated. And so we, we stay silent, uh, even though it is good and right to celebrate when God's ways uh, prevail in the world. Uh, we, we ought to pray God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and uh, celebrate it when it does. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 exhorts us, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who, who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. As believers, we've, I, I hope and pray, been doing that for the past 49 and a half years now, been opening our mouths to fight for the, the, the rights and the lives of these poor, needy, unborn children who have been led to the slaughter, crying out, this is wrong on their behalf because they are mute, just like the proverb says, they're mute, they can't fight for themselves. 
But now I believe in, in the wake of this decision from last Friday, it's totally appropriate and it is right for us to now open our mouths and say, thanks be to God who gives the victory and to celebrate on their behalf as well. And so we celebrate. But number three, we can't just stay in our holy huddles celebrating together. And so I think the third way that we ought to be responding as, as the church in this culture is by looking for opportunities to witness to non-believers. I know I, for one, I can personally attest to the fact that this recent decision brings with it all sorts of unique opportunities to bear witness to the truth but also the beauty and the hope of Christ to those who do not yet know him if we are willing to be so bold to step out in faith and speak up if we decide, you know what, I'm not here to please man, uh, I'm here to please God, Galatians 1.10, if, if we are willing to celebrate, even publicly celebrate what he has done, what God has done, then not only will we bring glory to him by praising him, but we'll bring glory to him as we then take those opportunities that arise that God offers us in response to continue to bear witness to his goodness in personal follow-up conversations with others who choose to engage with us. Let me just give you a few personal examples of, of a few of the types of conversations I've had this past week. Some of them in person, some of them, more of them, frankly, online. I praise God for technology, for the chance to be Christ's witnesses in every possible arena and medium that he provides us, uh, social media technology. But the first thing I think we need to do here is to differentiate between three categories of people who are responding to Friday's news. And really, uh, in any, in any uh, situation, uh, in particular, as you think about uh, those we, we engage with and disagree with, um, especially, especially when it comes to online engagement. But uh, three categories of, of responders. There are agitators, arguers, and the anguishing. Uh, so let me unpack those. Agitators just want to stir up trouble. They're just looking for the dopamine hit that comes with engaging in a good fight. And so Proverbs 26.4 warns us very plainly, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. It's foolish to try and reason with a fool who has no interest in reason but just wants to fight, wants to drag you down in the mud with him. You get into a mudslinging contest, you end up with mud all over your hands and all over you as well. And plus, it's just a waste of time. And so there are some comments, there are some commentors on social media that you just don't engage with, you don't reply to, answer not a fool. But then there's the second category of folks, the arguers. They may not be wise to God's truth yet. They may disagree with the biblical worldview on the issue of abortion or any other issue, but at least they aren't foolish in the same way that the agitators are. They aren't just looking to pick a fight. They may genuinely disagree with us and have a desire to express that opinion, even engage in, in a reasonable conversation. They may even have reasonable, albeit flawed, arguments to back up their position. Um, and so I, I can think of a couple different friends of mine. Uh, one in particular comes to mind who uh, I, I know, and won't name names, you wouldn't know him anyway, but I, I know to be a very reasonable guy, not the kind of guy who simply demonizes those who disagree with him and makes po posts like, you're celebrating dead women, but rather someone who is open to honest conversation and disagreement, and uh, who, who this past week shared a post that I did for that reason choose to engage with it's a it's a popular post going around 
Uh, perhaps you've seen it. Other uh, of your friends have maybe shared the post. It reads, it's not about babies. It's about control. If it was about babies, we'd have excellent and free universal maternal care, months and months of parental leave, free diapers and formula, etc. I think it's a bad argument against the pro-life cause. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I, I um, considered structuring this whole podcast episode um, as a sort of how to respond to specific bad arguments getting thrown around in the public sphere, public conversation right now by the pro-abortion movement. There are a number of popular memes getting shared, that um, some of which deserve a, a, a response. Um, you know, I, I gave one specific response to uh, my friend's uh, post that, that he shared that, that I mentioned. And, you know what, as a matter of fact, I, I just shared an, uh, a really good article um, with him written by Scott Klusendorf um, uh, that, that we'll probably link in the show notes that, uh, that, that, I, that may be helpful for some of you as well. But yeah, there's tons of memes going around. You know, another one I read um, on a, a couple people's pages said, my daughters will now grow up with fewer rights than their mother. It's just a, it's a bad argument because um, it's all about the rights in question, isn't it? I mean, no one complains about the fact that our grandparents had the right to dump their garbage in any river they wanted, and now that freedom has been curtailed uh, by environmental uh, laws uh, during our generation because we all genuinely, uh, generally tend to agree these days that no one should have the right to pollute wherever, whenever they want. Um, We just happen to disagree right now in society on whether or not someone should have the right to take another person's life. Um, or, or more specifically, uh, whether or not uh, a f- an unborn fetus and, and baby is just that, as a baby is a human life that's being taken. So all that to say, you know, I, I ultimately decided rather than try and respond to all of these bad arguments that are floating around out in the Twitterverse, it would be more constructive to zoom out and to try and offer these three categories for how to engage or not to engage uh, as it were, with any argument. For an agitator, again, answer not a fool. But for an arguer, interestingly, in the very next verse, after Solomon tells us not to answer a fool lest we be like him, Proverbs 26 verse 5 tells us to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So with some of those friends, you know, we ought to engage uh, you know, a level-headed person who is convinced that no rational person could possibly support the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we should engage lest he think that the truth is on his side. Um, we should point out God's truth and, 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 and uh, the, the biblical worldview. But as 1 Peter 3.15 reminds us, we do it with gentleness and respect. And then thirdly, uh, there are those who aren't agitators, not even so much looking for or or frankly benefiting from an argument, but those who are rather anguishing, who are grieving, who are hurting in the wake of this decision, whether they do so rightly or wrongly, whether it comes from a place of bad theology or maybe even more likely from, from personal experience. Either way, we are called to comfort those who hurt biblically. It's very clear. I, I made a post publicly celebrating Friday's decision, a neighbor uh, of mine replied with how heartbroken she was about this decision. And while she didn't go into it in her post, I know the backstory there that she 
lost a couple years ago, lost a, a one-month-old child who was born with a rare genetic defect. It's tragic. It's just heartbreaking, terrible. Uh, but she has since then told me that if she got pregnant again and received the same diagnosis, she would terminate the pregnancy, not carry the baby to term, only to watch that baby later die. Now, we might disagree on the, the ethics, the morality. I might disagree with her on what the right situation in a, in a hypothetical situation uh, that she gets into that, uh, God forbid, a second time, how she should handle that. I might disagree, but regardless, she is she, that is not someone who needs convincing from me. She needs comfort. She needs care. She needs concern. She's clearly hurting. Uh, and, and who knows how many of the folks that we see lamenting this decision have been personally affected by abortion. They, statistics say that one in four women will have an abortion sometime in her life, in, in our country at least. You know, we pray that that number drops significantly in the years to come. But if it's true, that means millions of lives have been affected by the trauma of abortion, the, the guilt of it. You think about the, the guilt that, that you must live with. And now, uh, by this reminder of, of this decision, uh, recently here with the Supreme Court's decision, that just serves as a reminder of their own uh, decision to get an abortion, that it was grievous, that it was sinful, heinous, that it shouldn't have ever even been an option, shouldn't have even been legal. It was never truly a constitutional right. It was an invented right, but more importantly, it was always in a, a, a heinous wrong in God's eyes. That must hurt to be reminded of uh, right now for, for those women and those men who supported it. And so, you know, what someone who's reeling in the wake of this decision now and, and being sort of re-reminded of, of the horror of, of, of abortion, even as they maybe in a, in a twisted way are, are lamenting the, the overturning of it, you know, what they need right now is, more than anything is not more Bibles thumping them. I think what someone in that situation needs is someone who's willing to listen, someone who's willing uh, to to care, to be a shoulder to cry on. They need a good Samaritan. Think of the story of the good Samaritan, uh, the sworn enemy of the Jewish man who had been beaten and battered and was downcast and and uh, and who nevertheless went out of his way to show care and compassion for his hurting enemy. And so to summarize response number three here, we use this victory for life as an excuse to look for ways to minister to non-believers, but that ministry might look different depending on whether the person is an agitator, an arguer, an arguer, or someone who is anguishing. And then lastly, number four, quickly, response number four is we need to continue to fight for life. As I record this podcast, abortion has only been banned in 11 states, and in some of those uh, cases, that's just surgical abortion. You know, most abortions these days are shifting toward pharmaceutical abortions anyway. And so it still remains to be seen how things shake out legally in the courts on that issue. Can a woman in Missouri right now still order mifepristone and misoprostol uh, from a state where abortion is legal in order to end her own pregnancy 
here in Missouri still. There's lots of fronts on which the fight for life still has to be waged in the months and the years to come, not to mention the implications we pray of living in a post-Roe world where millions of lives really are saved. I pray as someone who's been through adoption and who knows the statistics personally, the two and a half year average wait time that a couple waits to adopt, and that was before COVID, now it's even longer, the whole supply chain shortage has affected uh, the adoption industry, so to speak, the supply of adoptable babies as much as anything. But as, as hopefully some of that gets righted, and as millions of babies who would have otherwise been aborted are now born, we pray, Christians must step up and step into that gap and show that we are not just pro-birth, that we are truly pro-life. We're pro-adoption. We're pro-fostering. We're pro-empowering mothers who choose to keep their babies. We are truly pro-life. And so, church, my prayer for us uh, as a church is may we praise God, may we celebrate together, may may we witness to non-believers, and may we keep up the fight for life as long as the author of life gives us the breath in our lungs to do so. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at www.westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't yet. And thanks so much for listening.